everybody welcome back to the renowned leadership podcast i am your host Stephen morris and i am so glad uh for y'all to be here i'm so glad to be here uh blessed honored that you're joining me and let me tell y'all today uh, i got an amazing episode for you mr terry tucker is here to share his incredible inspiring journey um i can't wait for y'all to hear it so i'm not going to talk anymore let's just go ahead and jump right into it so here we go All right, everybody, welcome back to the Renowned Leadership Podcast. I am your amazing freaking host, Stephen Morris, and I have the best guest for you guys today. It is uh, one of my fellow brothers. He, he was a cop, um, but, you know, still the, out there putting his life on the line. And, no, we, you know, we have a lot of similarity in our story and in our experience. So it's going to be really fun to talk to him. He is the amazing Terry Tucker. And so, Terry... When I told my business coach my story of my life and getting shot and all the things that happened to me, he was like, dude, your life is a train wreck. And he said it in a loving way, but it kind of stung a little bit, you know, I'm like, man, is it really like, I guess it is. But I, I think you have successfully one upped me on the train wreck status. So I don't even want to, I just want to hear the whole story from beginning to end division one basketball player to just cancer survivor and i believe you're still fighting cancer correct yeah so 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 just just tell us about, about this about this and you know this train wreck sure so first of all Stephen, thanks for having me on i'm really looking forward to talking with you today um i'll, I'll try to give you the reader's digest version of it I, i'm born and raised on the south side of chicago i am the oldest of three boys. You can't tell this from looking at me or from my voice, but I'm six foot eight inches tall and actually went to college at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina on a basketball scholarship. When I graduated from college, I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. I moved home to find a job. I'm really going to date myself now, but this was long before the internet was available to, to help people find employment. Fortunately, I found that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the mar or the uh, hamburger chain, in their marketing department. That was the good news. The bad news was I lived with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mother care for my father and my grandmother, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Professionally, as I said, started out at Wendy's, then I became a hospital administrator, and then I made that major pivot in my life and became a police officer. And one of the things I did in my law enforcement career is I was a SWAT team hostage negotiator. After law enforcement, I started a school security consulting business, coached girls high school basketball, I became an author in 2020. But for the last 11 years, I've been battling this rare form of cancer, this rare form of melanoma. And then I guess just finally, my wife and I have been married for 30 years. We have one child, a daughter, who's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is a captain in the new branch of the military, the Space Force. Oh, I won't make jokes, I promise. <laughs> Notice the logo on <laughs> I thought that's what it was, but I wasn't 100% sure. So now that's, you know, it's, it's man. Um, so first of all, thank you for, for all the work you've done. I, I can only imagine the stress of 
being a hostage negotiator um because you know your decisions not just it's not just the people in that room that your decisions make like you know one mistake on your part and then your officers that are in harm's way are, are getting shot at or you know you've just you know there there could be 20 hostages that are all now dead because you made a bad decision I can't imagine that stress. Like, how how did you cope with that amount of stress? I, I mean, I think it was grounded in my family. You know, I remember when I first started, they gave us a formula about how we communicate with each other. And that formula was 738.55. And, and what that meant was 7% of the way you communicate are the words that you use. 38% of it was the tone of voice you used with those words. And then 55% of it was your body language or facial expressions. So as police officers, 99% of what we did was face-to-face -face with another person, whether we were stopping you to give you a ticket for speeding or whether we were answering a radio run to you know for a fight. It was face-to-face. -face. But what we didn't have as negotiators was that 55%. And so, you know, I could say something and I didn't see the person on the other end, you know, kind of rolling their eyes like, oh, what an idiot. I can't believe he said, you know, and, and that happened a lot. You know, you would, you would not know why you were there. You know, what started this? What precipitated this? Why are we here? So you're starting from ground zero and in any relationship, you know, parent, child, husband, wife, boss, subordinate, the overarching thing that you're trying to, to establish is trust. Is will this person trust me? And there were there were times we would spend hours over here talking about something when the real problem was over here and the person didn't trust us. We hadn't built up that empathy, that trust with that person to allow them to feel that way. So yeah, there was a lot of stress. There were a lot of times where you're like, I don't know where to go. I'm just going to pick a rabbit hole and go down it and see what happens. And if I'm wrong, they'll tell you. I mean, they literally is like, no, you're an idiot. Why did you even say that? Okay, I was wrong. You know, pull back, regroup, pick another rabbit hole to go down. So there was a lot of stress in it. But I was, you know, I mean, cops and things like that, there's a higher incident of divorce, higher incident of drug and alcohol abuse. And so, you know, it was like, hey, let's go out for a drink after this. I'm like, no, I'm going home. Because my family was my grounding point, my family was made this made this real for me, but also was the place I would go for a sanctuary where where I could decompress. I mean, I didn't my daughter was young and I didn't tell my wife everything, but I was with people that love me and that I love. And for me, that was a way to decompress and take away some of the stress. Now, I'll be honest with you, about 90 percent of the time we were successful getting people out, but about 10 percent of the time the person we were negotiating with, you know, could have been a homicide suspect or something like that, that knew when they came out, they were going to prison for the rest of their life. And they chose to end their life. And while that was always bad, I never lost any sleep over that. And I don't want anybody to think I'm callous, but I knew I had done the best I could to get them out. I knew I had great training and I knew I worked with good people. So, you know, at the, at the end of the day, it was really their decision how this was going to end. So I think the key thing, which is kind of the, the subtext of what you're saying is, is mindset, right? Okay. Your mindset was always key and you found ways to ground your mindset 
So for in the examples you gave, that was in your family and in your in your team and your coworkers. And I feel, you know, uh, you know, coming with my military background, the suicide rate is insane. I've lost more friends to suicide than I ever have to combat, uh, which is heartbreaking. And it's because our minds, you know, God blessed me with the with a mind that's just dark enough to to like you i don't lose a, any sleep over it but at the same time i'm still grounded and not just a complete psychopath but you know for a lot of people that mindset's hard to find and so that that's kind of what you do now right is you help people develop winning mindsets and so what what goes in to like so your family was key, a key pivotal point for you maintaining your mindset during these challenging times in your life, what what are your, what are some other key uh, mindset uh, uh, anchors, if you will? Yeah, I, I think uh, one of the biggest things, and I think you learn this, or you should learn this through your family, are your values. You know what, what what's important in your life. And and you and I were talking before you know we started to record and 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 how many people out there that are valueless that don't have any values. If you ask them what 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 do you value? What 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 is something that's so built into your spirit, to your soul, to your heart that you it, it's unwavering? It, it would never. And people are like, I, I don't know, I don't I don't know what that is. So I think if you have values, those are like like anchors. Those are like, you know, foundations for goals and things like that. And we always, you know, we, we got to set goals. We got to set goals. We got to set goals. But if those goals aren't, aren't attached to a, to a value, to a foundation, then it's, is it any wonder that, you know, most New Year's resolutions go by the wayside by, by February and that so many people never reach their goals because they don't, they don't know what they believe in. They don't have anything that's bigger than them. And I think that's, at least for me, and maybe you can you can talk to this as a member of the military and, and being part of, of, of a team. What being part of team sports taught me was the importance of being part of something that's bigger than yourself. You know, you realize on a team that if you don't do your job, not only do you let yourself down, but you let your teammates down, your coaches down, your fans down, your parents down, et cetera. And if you think about it, the biggest team game that we all play is this game of life. So for me, you know, life has always been, it's, it's not, it's not about me. It's not about me individually. I used to always tell my players, I, I when I was coaching basketball, I, I will treat you fairly. I mean, you're all unique, but you're not special. You know, I may tell my point guard, I, I mean, really, you know, I mean, you are unique, but I may tell my point guard, don't you shoot the ball because you're not a good shooter. But I want you to distribute the ball to this person who is a good shooter. That's their skill. That's your skill. What is your role in all this? And and so you know you 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 always I always used to tell my my team you need to be comfortable become comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I think that's how you you callous your mind. That's how you handle difficult things. You do think, and I do this every day. Do one thing. Do one thing every day that scares you, that makes you nervous, that makes you uncomfortable, that's potentially mm. embarrassing. It doesn't yeah. have to be a big thing. But if you do those small things every day, when the big disasters in life hit us, and they hit all of us, you know, we lose somebody who's close to us, we get let go from our job, 
find out we have a chronic or, or a terminal illness, you'll be so much more resilient to handle that pain, that pain than the people who never challenge themselves every day. So much to unpack there. And so, you know, people that listen to, to the open at the beginning of the story, like, dude, you're kind of kind of a jerk because his life in the train wreck. Well, he, he left out a key part of his story. And that is this cancer has cost you your foot and ultimately your your entire leg. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I have worked with countless amputees and i know that is one of the biggest soul crushing things that can happen to somebody is they lose their limb and have to learn to live life without it so i mean that's all that's ultimately why i felt your life a train wreck is just i can't imagine you know i yeah i got shot i had all these horrible things happen to me but i'm still i'm still all here for the most part i mean i got got a few metal attachments but i mean I didn't lose a limb or the use of a limb and I couldn't imagine keeping a mindset, you know, maintaining a positive mindset, a strong mindset going through like, and it's not like, you know, for a soldier, it's, you know, you know, for a lot of them, it happens like that. You know, one minute you have two legs, the next minute you don't have any legs. Um, but for you, I imagine it was a process where a doctor had to be like, look, dude, we got to we got to cut this off. Exactly. And, and for me, it happened in the middle of COVID. And so it was literally we need to do this. I had had a tumor that had grown large enough that it, it fractured my tibia, my shin bone, Oof. my entire my, my leg basically below the knee was all full of cancer. So it was like, we're going to have to take your leg you know, above your knee. And I remember, you know, my wife literally dropped me off at the hospital that morning. She was like, what do I do? I said, I, I don't know. I said, go, just go park in the, in the parking lot and pray. I, a nurse met me, wheeled me back to the pre-op room, which is this huge room that, you know, is all divided into different bays where there should have been all kinds of people getting ready for all different surgeries. I was the only person in that, in that whole room. And I was wow. the only person having surgery that day. I was supposed to be in the hospital for 10 days to two weeks to learn how to function without a leg to, you know, with a walker and get around and stuff like that. But because of COVID, I was in for 48 hours and then they kicked me out and sent me home. So it was, it was scary. And, and I, I honestly believe, you know, if, if I didn't have a good mindset, if I hadn't challenged myself every day, I don't, I don't know how I, how I would have done that. I mean, I think back on it now, I'm like, oh my God. You know, that was, there was no support. It's, it's you, you're losing a leg and there's nobody there to support you. Nobody there to hold your hand. Nobody to say it's going to be okay. That's all got to come from you. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, yeah. 100%. And, and I couldn't, I couldn't even imagine. Um, because like I said, I, I've seen the destruction that losing limbs can cause psychologically to someone. And I couldn't imagine having, you know, they had support. And it still was destructive. I couldn't imagine having to do it alone. So, I mean, and I, I love what you said. I absolutely agree. You know, you build that resiliency by by facing fear. <clears throat> and my big thing is, is action breeds clarity. You find what you're scared of. And then you take a step into that fear and start doing action, you know, taking action. And once you, a lot of times, once you do, the, the first thing I've learned is 
when you do that a lot of times you realize like this really isn't anything for me to be scared of yeah and we're, then, we're scared of the unknown it's things we don't right. understand yeah right absolutely and then after after that then you're like okay well this is a reasonable fear but now that i can see it i can prepare for it i can plan for it and you know I, I can take action to avoid that, but I'm prepared for it if it does happen. Um, so, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. Like you have to take steps into what scares you. Uh, and I agree 100%. That is, that is where mental resiliency comes from when it comes to your mindset and maintaining a positive mindset. You, and like you said, you couldn't have, man, being an entrepreneur is scary, right? I couldn't imagine doing this with, without the mindset that I have, because, you know, I had to take out a very large loan to start my company. And, you know, if, if it, if it fails, there's no plan B, like I gotta, I gotta start working three jobs to pay this loan off and get out of debt. Right. It's, it has to work. So, and, and so dealing with those fears, that stress, it all comes from just maintaining a positive mindset. And I want listeners to be very careful here because we're not saying we're not human. We still have bad days, or at least I do. I'm sure you do too. But, you know, it, it's the, 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 the power that we have is that when we have these bad days, we can, we can claw our way back out of the darkness into the light. You're right. And and I had a nurse recently ask me, I'm, I'm still being treated. I have tumors in my lungs and I'm, I'm treated for an entire week every three weeks. And I've been doing that for almost three years now. And I had a nurse ask me, what, what was it like to, to lose your foot in 2018 and your leg in 2020? And I told her, yeah, you're right. We're human beings. I said, you know, it hasn't been easy. I'm still learning how to walk again. You know, at six foot eight, falling is not an option. You get hit, you get hurt. <laughs> <laughs> but what I told her was cancer can take all my physical faculties, but cancer can't touch my mind. It can't touch my heart and it can't touch my soul. And that's who I am. That's who you are, Steve. And that's who everybody who's listening to us really is. We spend a ton of time, you know, working on our bodies, exercising, eating right, getting enough rest, reducing stress. And I'm not telling you not to do that. You absolutely should do that. But what I am suggesting is maybe spend a little time each day working on who you really are, your heart, your mind, and your soul. Because this body, we all know it's going to die, it's going to decay. But your heart, your mind, and your soul, those things are eternal. Those things will live on. But we don't spend nearly as much time working on those things. Yeah, and it's sad because, and, and the, it's sad because I think people are scared to do the do that work because it hurts right it hurts to stand and look in the mirror and my audience has heard this story a million times but and i was telling you right before we started recording about you know my struggle with gaining so much weight after i left the military and all of that it was hard to look at myself in the mirror and just like dude look at what you've become you're completely out of shape you you you've let yourself you've let your body go you you couldn't defend your way out of a paper if someone attacked your family you would be out of breath in 5 seconds you can't protect anybody and that's always been a big identifier for me is i can protect my family no matter what or die trying right 
now it's just pretty much die. <laughs> That's my option. And it's like, it would hurt so bad to look at myself in the mirror and have that conversation. But that's the work that had to happen, right? I had to embrace that pain and I had to embrace all those difficulties. And the, that was the catalyst ultimately that propelled me into the personal growth to rediscover who I am and realize that my, my, my life isn't over. My purpose isn't over. I was just too stupid, too blind to see it in the time. And then I let the depression and all this crap take a hold of me. Ultimately, I lost my mindset. The thing that had got me through such a, a long military career, I, I lost it all. And so when, whenever it comes to you and embracing that pain, what are some key uh, mindsets you hold dear to, to help you weather that pain and those struggles? Yeah, I, I mean, I I have bad days. When, when I go for treatment, I I get down. I feel sorry for myself. I cry. I I, I mean, I, I do. I I mean, I really do. I, I am when I have my clinical trial drug. I I have a terrible reaction. I shake violently. I'm nauseous. I throw up. I have a headache. It's it's ugly. And you know, again, my nurses keep asking, "Why do you keep coming back? Why do you keep doing this?" And I think the answer to your question is this. When we are feeling that way, when we are feeling, you know, woe is me, this is terrible. You know, I, one of my favorite authors is, is Ernest Hemingway. And Hemingway once said, life breaks everyone. And afterwards, <clears throat> many are stronger at the broken places. And, and I love that quote. You know, but when I find I'm looking in, inward where, oh, woe is me, this is terrible, this, this, this sucks. It's just that I'm looking inward and I find a really easy way to overcome that is to turn that around and look outward. Who can I help? Who can I make a phone call to? Who can I just show up in the room and say, hey, how's it going? You know, you want to talk? You want to have a cup of coffee? Now, all of a sudden, my focus is not on me. My focus is on making a positive difference in the life of another human being. Tell you another interesting story. I, I had a this is another nurse. All I got is like sports and nurse stories for you. So sorry, <laughs> you know. But I, I had this was a, a young nurse. She was about twenty five. She was already a nurse, but she was learning how to uh, work on the unit, the infusion center where I get treated. And about eight months later, she was taking care of me on her own. And she came in and she said, "Tara, I've got a story to tell you, but I'm a little uncomfortable telling it to you." And Stephen, I didn't know how to respond to that. You know, I was like, "Well, I, I hope you decide you want to tell me." So over the next couple hours, she's in and out. Finally, she comes in, sits down. She's like, all right, here's a story. She said, when I first met you, I was going to get out of nursing. I'd had a good friend of mine die. I was in a really dark place. I talked to my mom and dad. I was going to quit nursing, and I was going to go to work for Amazon. And then I saw you. I met you, and I see all you go through during your treatments. And then I went back in, in your file, and I, I read everything you've been through. And she said, when I finished reading, I knew I was where I was supposed to be. Now, if she would have never told me that story, I would have had no idea my life had had a positive impact on her. So the question is, who's out there that's watching you that, you know, here's your story, Stephen, and says, you know, you don't know who this person is, but oh my God, I'm so inspired. I'm so motivated by hearing your story that it's going to make my life better. I guarantee you, I don't care how, how down you are, how depressed, how 
ugly things are, there is someone or many people out there that are watching how you handle your stress, how you handle your difficulty, and would give almost everything they have to spend five minutes walking in your shoes. Yeah, 100%. That is, I got, actually I have goosebumps uh, from that story. Like, and that's so true. And I think we lose sight of that too easy because we get so just victimized by our circumstances. And that's, that's one of the things I fight so hard against is this. In culture today, it seems like victim status is almost desired and elevated to me. And that breaks my heart because a victim is not a winner. There is no such thing as a champion victim, right? A champion is someone that overcomes, right? Just, just by the definition of being a victim, you are a loser. Now I'm saying, I'm not saying you yourself are a loser. I'm saying your, your circumstances have, have lost, but it, it's overcoming. You know, where would Michael Jordan be today if he sat there and said, you know what? I got cut from the basketball team. I, I'm a loser. Nah, he didn't, he, he wasn't a victim. He could have said, oh, well, that, that white coach, he doesn't like me and kicked me off the team. He's racist. He could have said that. And it may have been true. I don't know. But he didn't. He just got back up. I'm sure it hurt. But he, but he got back up and, and he faced that, that challenge, faced that fear, and he refused to become a victim to his circumstances. And I think, uh, you know, especially me, like when, when people are like, oh, my God, you, I'm so sorry all those things happened to you. I'm like, don't be sorry. I, I love that they happened to me because everyone loves to hear the stories. Like they, they get, then very few people will admit that they love to hear the stories. But they loved, it's such an easy conversation starter, icebreaker. Like, yeah, you know, I got shot three times. What? Like instantly people are intrigued and they want to talk to me. Right? So I'm glad because it gives me a doorway into people's lives. Thank you, God, for letting me survive that. Right? So it's all perspective. It's all in how you look at it. Rather than like, yes, this is happening to you. Yes, it's horrible. And I'm so sorry that you're having to go through it. But rather than become a victim, think of it like what, exactly what you said. Think about how can I use this to inspire other people, to help other people, to make a difference in other people's lives. And you're absolutely right. And, and I just want to share this real quick story with you. Uh, a new client of mine found my podcast, heard one of my guest and I talking was completely inspired by our stories. And I had no idea about this guest or about this person until recently. And so he just been quietly following me, listening to my podcast, reading my, my writing, uh, following my, my LinkedIn and social media posts. And then finally sent me a message and was like, Hey man, you, you really inspire me. Thank you. And I sent him a message back. I'm like, hey, yeah, no problem, man. I, I love that. Like, let's have a meeting and talk about it. And he was blown away. I, I, I guess I, the, to listen to him describe it, he's, it makes me sound like a celebrity, which I'm not. But I guess to him, I appear that way. And he was floored that I would want to take the time to talk to him. And now he's working with me and I'm helping him. 
but I, I had no clue, no clue that I was helping somebody. I just assume that I am. And my big thing is just one person. That's all I want. I want to help just one freaking person, dude. If I can make a difference in one person's life and make them better, then my entire life has had value and I can die happy knowing that I just made a difference to one single person. And I think when every day when I look at wake up and it's like, oh, I have 20 meetings today and 24 hours in the day. How am I going to do this? This sucks. Why do I even do this? You know, and when I'm writing checks to pay the bills, I'm like, God, it's so expensive. Why do I do this? And then I remember it's like, oh, yeah, there's that one person, dude, just that one that I'm helping that we're helping right now. Just there's one person that's going to hear your story that has cancer. And they're like, you know what? If Terry Tucker can do it, he ain't special. You already said it. I'm not special. You're not special. But you have skills. You have gifts that make you unique. And if Terry, if Terry can do that with his non-special self, I can do that with my non-special self as well. And that's what it's all about, dude. And that is when your life has value. That's when your life has purpose. And that, that is when your mindset can be undestructible. You're absolutely right. And, and I, you know, I, I developed, uh, devoted an entire chapter in my book. And, and the title of that chapter is most people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. And, and I know I've done that. I know I've done, you know, I, I'd like to do this. Oh, wait a minute. Do I have enough intelligence? Do I have enough information? What will people think about me if I fail? Right. Yeah. That's, that's thinking with our fears and our insecurities. That's not thinking with our minds. And I always tell, especially young people, if there's something in your heart, something in your soul that you believe you're supposed to do, but it scares you, go ahead and do it. Because at the end of your life, the things you're going to regret are not going to be the things you did. They're going to be those things you didn't do. And by then it's going to be too late to go back and do them. Absolutely. Oh, dude, 100%, man. And that's why I try to encourage everybody, just embrace your fear. Fear is a good thing, right? Fear, fear, fear is a warning to be careful, right? Jumping out of an airplane, like I'm deathly scared of heights, jumping out of an airplane, eh, not my jam. I mean, it is, I love doing it, but in the beginning I didn't, right? And so, you know, the, there is that reasonable fear that if everything goes horribly wrong, I'll die. Yeah, that's reasonable. Right. But what that does is it propels me to make good decisions while I'm doing the thing. It makes me be careful. It makes me be wise. It makes me seek guidance. So, I mean, you know, starting my starting my own company, I'm sure uh, like you when you started your company. Um, and and I, I can't remember well, real quick. What's the name of your company again? I forget. Motivational check. Motivational check. Thank you. And so when you start a motivational check. I'm sure you were scared. But then. Then you're like, you know what? I need to seek people that know how to do this, that can teach me, that I can learn from, that I can bounce ideas off of. And, and when, you know, that's what fear does. So you have, you have two options when it comes to fear. You can either dwell in it, which causes you to do nothing because you're too scared, or you can embrace it. And you're like, okay, what is fear trying to teach me? You learn what your fear is trying to teach me. And then, like I said, as you're doing it, you're like, oh, wait, I don't need to be scared of this, 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 and this. 
I do need to be scared of these things, but how do I mitigate these things from happening? How can I, I prevent it? How can I, if it does happen, how can I mitigate the damage? Yada, yada, yada. So, I mean, that, and that's so true. You just got to embrace your fear, embrace the suck, as we say in the army, just embrace it. Yeah. And when, when, right. you, when you embrace it, like, you know, we have a funny saying in the army, if it ain't, if it ain't raining, we ain't training. And there's nothing I hate more than being wet in the rain. I hate it so freaking much. But when you embrace it, you're laughing. Dude, I can't tell you how many amazing conversations, funny conversations I've had while getting shot at. Right? Because we just embrace it. It's, it's our environment currently. Yes, it's dangerous. Yes, it's scary. We have to embrace it. And then that, that just makes you able to do so many amazing things. It really does. And I, I and and just so your audience understands, this happens to everyone. This fear, this am I good enough? Can I do this? I don't care who you are. I, I did a I did a podcast with a, a gentleman who was a former NFL player. I mean, this guy played for the Titans and the Bengals and, and, and the Bills. And we were taught as, as a matter of fact, his brothers in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And we were talking afterwards. And he said, Terry, when I started my podcast. I was scared to death. I said, Marcus, you were you were an NFL player. You were at the highest peak of, of professional excellence. What do you mean you were scared? He's like, I didn't think anybody would take me seriously. I didn't think anybody would want to listen to me. I didn't think anybody would want to hear how I felt about leadership. Yeah. And, 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 you know, so we all have this. I don't care, you know, if you're, if you're a billionaire or you're an NFL player or if you're just a schmuck like me, you know, it's like, we all have things to offer people and we all feel unsure of ourselves. The difference is, are you willing to take that next step? Are you willing to put one foot in front of the other and keep moving forward? Because the vast majority of people in life aren't. And if you can do that, I mean, this is kind of an amputee joke. You really have a leg up on so many <laughs> other people if, if you're willing to do that because the vast majority of people in the world aren't. Right. Absolutely. And, and in doing and embracing that fear and in doing when, when you focus on like, okay, so I'm, I, you know, and, and I totally understand where, where that, that friend of yours is coming from because I felt the exact same way starting my podcast. Oh, it was horrible. Absolutely horrible. It was so horrible for me. In fact, I was so, cause I hate the sound of my voice and people are like, Oh, everybody. No, like I, I think, I think I'm the the annoying equivalent to Kermit the Frog. Like that is what I hear when I hear my own voice. It is horrible, horrible, horrible. It drives me nuts. It's so annoying. Like I get angry at myself for the sound of my own voice. Like how do I sound like such a schmuck? Like, yeah, how do people take me serious? Why would anyone want to listen to me? And so like I had all these thoughts like just I can't do this. And so finally I decided I was going to, right? I didn't do an ounce of research, not an ounce, because I knew if I did, I would find a reason not to do it. So I just turned the camera on, started recording out of my crappy microphone on my computer, right? I had nothing, nothing, no podcast set up at all. And I just started doing it. And you know, now, I don't identify myself as an entrepreneur. Yes, I am an entrepreneur. I am a public speaker. I am all these things, but you know what I am first? I'm a podcaster, man, because I love my podcast. I love my audience. I love getting to do this. 
right? It doesn't make me an ounce of money on the front end, at least, but I love doing it because this is the way I can affect thousands of people, right? This conversation right here is going to affect thousands of people, right? So I love doing it. And if I had embraced that fear, or if I hadn't embraced that fear and just done it, then I would have, I would have crippled myself. An amputee joke for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but I would have crippled myself and my ability to, to make that lasting impact, which is ultimately what we all seek, right? All, what we all want is to leave a legacy of impact in people's lives. We don't do that by becoming a billionaire, right? I mean, we can, you know, it certainly makes it easier the more money you have. But it's that's not what leaves impact and a legacy for yourself. What leaves legacy is when after you're dead and gone, people are still talking about you, right? When when a grandparents telling their grandchild like I worked I worked with this guy named Terry Tucker, and he changed my life because he told me this thing, or he made me see this thing. That is what we're talking about when we talk about legacy and lasting impact. It's not, that's the only thing to me, that's the only thing that it matters because ultimately, and people are going to hate that I say this, that that's how you get immortality. All right, everybody. I just want to interrupt the podcast really, really quick and uh, take a minute to tell you all about the brand new renowned coaching system. This is a system I've personally designed and put a lot of thought and effort and love into. It's an amazing system. Let me tell you real quick why it's an amazing system because you get real time analytics. You get to see exactly where you were when you started, where you currently are, and how close you are to achieving that ultimate goal that you set at the very beginning. You get analytics for everything. More importantly, the accountability with this system is the best you'll find anyplace else in the world. I get to see everything that's going on and make sure that you are staying accountable to the goals you set. It's it's truly powerful. You guys just got to see it for yourself. Go to renownedleadership.com. Go to the top right-hand corner. Click book a call. You'll get to come talk to me personally, and I will personally give you a tour of this system. It is truly amazing. It's one of a kind, and it's truly, truly powerful. I'm so excited. I can't wait to show you all. That's uh, all I got to say about it. So let's get back to the podcast. It, it is. And I, you know, you, you and I, you know who Fred Rogers is, Mr. Rogers, mm-hmm. you know, Mr. Rogers neighborhood. I mean, he educated so many people on public television, including me growing up. When Fred Rogers died in 2003, his family was going through his effects and they found his wallet. And inside of his wallet was a scrap piece of paper. And on that piece of paper was written four simple words. Life is for service. And if you, you think about that, it's not, you know, Stephen, I, I, we all think that, you know, we're born empty. And that, you know, when we get out of, of high school or, or the military or college or whatever, when, whenever we get into life, we seem to think that our job is to fill our empty selves up, that we'll be happy if we have a great education and we make a lot of money and we have a pretty wife and we have great kids and we have all this stuff. But what I've come to understand is we're not born empty. We're born full. We're born with everything we need to be successful in life already inside us. We just need to find that and pull it out and use it for our benefit. So, you know, it's not, it shouldn't be what we get. People who just spend their life getting stuff they're never happy. The people that are happy 
are the people that realize that they're full and their job should be to empty themselves out for the betterment of themselves, certainly, but of their family, of their community, of their branch of the military, of their country. And those are the people, I think, in life that understand what's really important. It's not what you get. It's what you give in life. Mm. Man, that, that is... Again, you gave me goosebumps. You're absolutely right. And I've never thought about it that way at all because I've never thought, man. So I'm sorry. I'm just trying to process and and see. I guess I've never really bought into, I need to achieve wealth or, you know, these possessions to be happy in life because like i told you i knew i was going to be a soldier since i was six years old and soldiers don't make a lot of money so i thought i'd always kind of just accepted i was never going to be rich um so i don't think i ever had that but i definitely envied it so i guess i guess in a sense i did i just knew my path wasn't going to take me there but uh, and you're right. I think once I realized like it's not about me, that's when the switch happened. That I started making impact in other people's lives, and, and you know, in the military, it's extreme. You know, especially or in being a cop, it's really important because your life isn't about you. Your life is about the guy to your left and right who you're trying to keep alive. <laughs> it's a it's a pretty important purpose. like their their families appreciate that Um, so i I think that kind of gives us a little bit of a unique perspective but ultimately that that's a perspective anyone can have because you know if you if you're a construction worker you know you were providing a home for somebody that that's a very needed purpose i don't know the first freaking thing about building a house i couldn't do that right so i mean so good on you when you embrace that that mindset rather than I'm just going to work to make a paycheck, it suddenly takes on a different characteristic, I guess. It goes into a different file in your mind, maybe, of I'm making an impact. Everything you do in life, I, I, I think if done the right way with the right intention, can make an impact, no matter what it is. Even if it's just giving someone, ten, some random person $10, you know? Yeah. Um, one, one of my favorite things, one of my guests recently told me that he did does is he, he always carries a hundred dollar bills in his wallet. And a couple of times a week, he always tries to just find one person that looks like they could use a hundred dollars that day. And I mean, one good on him for being able to afford to do that. And two good on him for realizing that he needs to do that. Like he's got the blessing of all this money. So, so we'll use it to impact other people's lives. Right. And so I, and I, I never ever tell people not to try to make money, right? Money, you need money. And money is not evil. You know, and a lot of people try to quote the Bible and say, money's the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says when they, they misquote the Bible the Bible actually says the love of money is the root of all evil. So when we hear that quote, whether it's in a biblical sense or not, you know, adding, you know, taking away those few words changes completely the meaning of the quote. And so 
and I'm not trying to preach it to anybody. It's just that's that that's a common thing, and I I feel like people get scared of money, and it's like you know if again just understand it's just a tool that you're going to use to impact and affect people's lives. Yeah, it, it really is, and you know when you were when you were talking, I was thinking about the you know, whatever we do, how do we approach it? Do we approach it with, with the handle of I get to, or I have to, do I have to go to work today or do I get to go to work today? You know, do I have to make a difference in somebody's life or do I get to make a difference in somebody's life? It's really the perspective that, that you bring to it. And, and again, you know, keeping in mind, we all have bad days. Well, oh, I don't want to go to work today. I, you know, yeah, I, I get that. But but do you get to or do you have to? And, and you know, it, when you walk in somebody else's shoes, you, you really, you know, I, I haven't worked in 11 years, but this is a purpose for me now. And, you know, we, we talk about our purpose a lot. We, it's important to find our purpose. Viktor Frankl, the concentration camp survivor, you know, talks about how we have a moral responsibility to find our purpose in life. And I, I think the misnomer there is the word purpose as singular. At least in my life, it's been purposes, plural. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was younger, I felt my purpose was to, was to play sports, was to play basketball. I ate, drank, and slept basketball. And then when I became an adult or got out of college, I wanted to follow my grandfather's footsteps of being a police officer. And my dad didn't want me to do that. But I felt that was my purpose at that time. And now... In all honesty, as I'm probably coming towards the end of my life, my purpose has changed again to putting as much goodness, positivity, motivation back into the world as I possibly can. So don't feel that, you know, and, it would, and another thing, I guess it would be great if our purpose could be our job or our occupation, but it doesn't have to be. You know, our purpose could be over here or our job could be over here. It's what we do to make a living, to make money. But our purpose, you know, as you were saying, is to be a podcast host or to write or to paint or to be an activist or whatever it is that you feel in your heart you're supposed to do. So, you know, I, I think it's it's real important. We should look and find our purpose. But at the same time, don't feel like, oh, God, I'm 30 years old. I have no idea what I'm going to do. I'm just going to quit and give up. So many people do. I don't know if you if you've ever heard of the, the entrepreneur by the name of Ed Milet. Mm -hmm. He talks about the four types of people in the world. And I absolutely love that. He said the first type are the unmotivated. And he said, that's the vast majority of people in the world. The second group, he says, are the motivated. It's kind of a carrot and stick approach to life. If I do this, I will get that. It's a life simply based on motivation. It's kind of low level, but it works for a lot of people. The third group he talks about are the inspirational people. The word inspiration coming from two words in spirit. If you're an inspirational person, you move people with your energy. And the last group he talks about are the aspirational people, where people aspire to be like you. And when I talk to groups, I always ask them, where do you fall? And it's funny, Stephen, nobody, nobody ever falls in the unmotivated group. Nobody else. Everybody right. is at least motivated. But if you understand his premise, the vast majority of people in the world are in the unmotivated right. category, but nobody ever feels they're in that category. So I always challenge people, what, what are you and where do you want to be? 
if you're unmotivated now, it doesn't mean somewhere down the road, you can't be an aspirational person, but it's going to take a little bit of work. Right. And I think that's what, what scares us the most. One is looking in the mirror and being honest, right? Because like, I'm a, like, you know, the first thing you came on, I'm like, what it is, like, I'm excited. Like, I'm always motivated. Like, you know, um, yeah. so motivation is not something I lack. Um, but I, I think it's hard to look in the mirror and really, like, because you're absolutely right. I want to be that aspirational person. I want people to look at me and just, just my life in general is encouragement to them. And so, you know, it, it, it's, am I there? No, no, I'm not there. I'm working on it. I, I would say I, I'm somewhere in between number two and number three, but we got to be honest with ourselves. And that hurts. That's hard to, to just look in the mirror and be honest. And, and but you said something that this might be a little morbid i guess but you said it so i'm just going to pull it the thread um you, you said uh possibly coming to the end of your life right that is a reality currently in your life um which and, and ultimately it's reality in all our lives right i could i don't have cancer but i could still die tomorrow i could have a massive heart attack i could have you know a massive stroke like get in a car accident um how do you embrace that that notion like this this could possibly kill me it could not but you know the likelihood is you know the real reality is it's probably going to kill me and still stay positive and motivated yeah that's a, that's a great question when i was diagnosed with this rare form of melanoma back in 2012 it was pretty much a death sentence. The, they didn't have anything they could offer me other than surgery. You know, if it's someplace that we can cut it out, we'll cut it out. But other than that, we, we can't offer you anything. Well, it's 11 years later and I'm still here. And, you know, a couple summers ago, I had all 88 genes that doctors either know of or suspect cause all different forms of cancer, not just melanoma, tested. And I have no mutations in any of my genes, which begs the question, then why did I get this incredibly rare form of cancer? And I remember after I had my leg amputated and found out I had these tumors in my lungs, which I'm still being treated for, my doctor showed me my CAT scan. And I, and I don't know how to read a CAT scan. I'm, I have no medical background. But, you know, you can kind of look at it and say, well, gee, that doesn't look like it's supposed to be there. You know, I had these, <laughs> these big tumors in my lungs. I had fluid all around the pleural spaces. And I remember looking at him and saying, how was I alive? And he kind of smiled and put his head down and sort of shook his head. And he said, I don't know, because you shouldn't have been. So the answer to your question is, God's not done with me yet. I have a very deep faith in, in God. I don't spend a lot of time worrying about dying. I spend a lot of time making sure that I live my life. We're all going to die. You know, nobody's working on a cure for life right now, as far as I know. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're, we're all going to die but we're not all going to really live. And I heard a Native American oh, wow. Blackfoot yeah. proverb long ago that I remember, and it went like this. When you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. 
That's what I want. That's what I'm looking for. So for me, it's not about dying. We're all going to die. I don't worry about that. I worry about the living part of it more. Uh, dude, that is such great advice. I have never heard that proverb. The, you said that was a Blackfoot Native American, Native American proverb? Blackfoot proverb. Yeah, yeah. I, I've never, I've never heard that before. But I'm definitely going to steal that because that is amazing. Feel free. And, and that is, is absolutely true. You know, you, how are you living your life, right? What, what, what? Oh man, just so much, so much value in just that belief. And I, I, I challenge everybody to really just look at yourself, spend an hour meditate on meditating on that, that principle of how, how are you living your life? Because ultimately like already, we already talked about when I die, that's what I want. I want people to like, Oh man, you know, Steven, he, he made such a big impact on me that, you know, and, and that to me, that is the cure for life. That, cause like I said, that that's immortality because your name is getting passed on for generations and your legacy is getting passed on for generations. Yeah, sure, eventually it'll die off. But I mean, it might not. Look, we still talk about Homer, right? Homer is, is, is in fact, immortal. You know, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, pretty immortal. We still talk about him today. George Washington, pretty, pretty freaking immortal. So, I mean, is, when we leave these legacies, that that is how immortality comes. That's your career for life right there. Like, yes, well, you, you won't physically be on this earth, but people are still going to be talking about you. And that's all I want. I just, I want to impact people's lives so positively that, that they just continue to talk about me for as long as, as long as I, as they can. I, I don't know, but I mean, and, and that might be vain, but I mean, it, it's what drives me because I just, I want to help people so much as much as I can. And I know you do too, which is why you wrote your book. Uh, tell us a little bit about your book. Yeah, Sustainable Excellence, The Ten Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life was really a book born out of two conversations I had. One was with a former player I had coached in high school, and she had come to Colorado where my wife and I live with her fiance, and the four of us had dinner one night. And I remember saying to her after dinner that I was excited that she was living close to me now, and I could watch her find and live her purpose. She got real quiet for a while. And then she looked at me and she said, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? And I said, I have absolutely no idea what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about. Finding the reason you were put on the face of this earth, using your unique gifts and talents and living that reason. So that was one conversation. And then a young man reached out to me on social media and he asked me what I thought were the most important things that he should learn not to just be successful in his job or in business, but to be successful in life. And I didn't want to give him that, you know, get up early, work hard, help others. I didn't want to give him those. Things. Not that those aren't important. Those are incredibly important. But I wanted to see if I could go deeper with it. So I spent some time taking notes and sort of had these 10 thoughts, these 10 ideas, these 10 principles. And so I sent them to him. And then I stepped back and I was like, you know, I got a life story that fits underneath that principle or I know somebody whose life emulates this principle. So literally during the three to four month period after I was healing, after I had my leg amputated, I sat down at the computer every day and I built stories and they're real stories about real people underneath each of the principles. And that's how sustainable excellence came to be. Man, and so 
sustainable excellence when i think about that the just that phrase and it's tiring because it's hard to sustain that level all the time what what how do you do it i think you constantly have to to innovate to grow to find a new audience to to do things differently I mean, we all, you know, people always ask me, you know, well, let's break the title down. What, what is excellence? And I always say, I don't know. I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? You wrote the book. How can you possibly not know what excellence is? I'm like, I feel like excellence. You and I may look at a sports team or uh, an entertainer or a business or something like that. And you may say, oh, I think that that's an excellent company. And I may say, yeah, I think they're good, but I don't think they're excellent. I think excellence like beauty is in the, in the eye of the beholder. You have to determine excellence for yourself. I can't determine it for you. You can't determine it for me. So you've got to figure out what excellence is. And then once you determine that, once you've worked hard enough, sweated hard enough, you know, gotten to a point in your life where I, I've made it, I've reached the top of the mountain. What do most people do? They sort of kick back, put their feet up on the desk, pour themselves a drink and be like, yeah, I've arrived. And then what happens six months later, a year later, boom, somebody passes them up and they do that kind of what we were talking about before. People are watching us. People are watching your company. They're watching how you do things. They're taking the best of what you do. They're applying it to what they do and maybe even improving upon it. So if you're not growing, if you're not improving, if you're not innovating, if you're not finding a new way to develop and distribute your product, somebody is going to pass you up. That's what the sustainable means. You know, how many how many college teams, you know, win the NCAA championship? Why don't they win it the next year? Because they get complacent. They think, ah, I did this last year. No, if you did it last year, everybody's figured out that you did it. Now you've got to improve. You've got to do it a different way. You've got to change your offense, your defense, whatever it is. You've got to innovate. And if you don't do that, it's incredibly hard to sustain that excellence. I love that analogy. And that analogy makes me think of players in the NFL uh, like Patrick Mahomes, right? When Patrick Mahomes forgot, first got introduced to the NFL, no one could freaking stop him. He was unstoppable. But now we're a few years into his career. Now it's suddenly harder for him to maintain that level because people have figured him out. Okay, we know Patrick Mahomes is going to throw a crazy underhanded lob pass that goes 30 yards down the field somehow. Like, we, we know that's going to happen. So how do we defend it? So he, like you said, he's constant, and he even talks about it. He's like, I'm constantly finding ways to change my game that they don't expect because they, they expect these things from me now. So I have to, otherwise... I'm not going to be successful anymore. And that, you know, Tom Brady, another prime example of constantly improving his game. And, and that's why I say everyone in life needs a coach. I don't care if you're in the business, if you're just trying to better your life, if you're an athlete, if you're, it doesn't matter what you do, who you are, you need a coach and a mentor, at least one of each. Because you know, I, I I don't understand how people think, oh, I'm working for this Fortune 500 company. I don't need a coach. Like, where would Tom Brady be if he's like, ah, hey, you know what? I won three Super Bowls. I think I'm good. 
I, I got this on my own. <laughs> he wouldn't he wouldn't have won any more Super Bowls. That's I think that's pretty safe to say. He needed his coaches. And so in life, like we have got to we've just got to embrace that idea that we constantly have to be improving. Best way to do that, get yourself a coach, get yourself a mentor, someone that that is going to hold you accountable, who is going to, you know, and, and I love that she asked you, coach, what, 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 what is my purpose? You know, purpose, just like, and, and the same thing with success. You have to define that yourself, right? And that's one of the first thing I ask my clients is what does success mean to you? It could be money and there's nothing wrong with that. Could be, it could be having a nice house and a nice boat. Could be, I'm not going to tell you that's wrong. For me, success, nothing monetary at all. No personal possession at all. That, that isn't my definition of success. If that's yours, that's fine. I don't care. Good for you. I'm glad you have that identified. But you have to, you know, all this work we've talked about you, you having to do, that's another thing just to add to the list. Identify what success means for you. Identify your purpose. And, what, you know, from there, you can identify your goals. And, and you're just, you're creating this, the, this GPS for your life that is going to guide you and propel you exactly where you want to go. And I, I just love that. Like, oh man, goosebumps again, dude. Like just, just identify these things and, yeah. and, and embrace them. You know, when I was growing up, there was a, a basketball coach at UCLA by the name of John Wooden. And at the time, <laughs> you know, everyone one, knows who he is. Yeah. One of the most successful coaches in the world. But he had a definition of success, and I have never found one that's better. And again, probably one of the winningest coaches of all times. And this is how he defines success. Success is peace of mind, which is a direct result of self-satisfaction in knowing that you did the best to become the best that you're capable of becoming. You know, he was a, an English teacher before, you know, in, in high school. And he used to say, you know, the person who got an A but never really worked was not nearly as successful as the person who got a C but worked their butt off to get that C. And I think that's that's the whole thing about success. Did you do your best to be the best person that you can possibly be? And if the answer is yes, then that's success. It, it's not winning. It's not having material or monetary things. You know, it's not people remembering you. It's not people writing a book. Did you give everything you had? Did you leave it all out on the field? And you know this as being part of the army. You know this as being part of a team. I know this from being part of a team in sports and in, in law enforcement. You learn that lesson being part of a team. And I think the other thing that when you were talking about having a mentor and having a coach, the important part that we learned about making that work for us in a team is what is team, what is being part of a team teach you, teach you? It teaches you how to be coachable. It teaches mm -hmm. you how, how to, you know, care about your, your, your teammate. It, it teaches you how to win, how to lose, how to forgive, all those kind of things. So you can have a coach, but if your attitude is not coachable, that coach won't be successful for you. It, you know, you can have a mentor, but if you're not open to what that mentor says to you, and that's where I think, any team, whether it's the military, whether it's sports, whether it's law enforcement, whether it's your family, your colleagues, team team can teach you how to be an individual that can work collectively. Because I think if COVID showed, showed us anything, 
we don't do good by ourselves. We, we are, mm-hmm. we are, you know, the amount of alcoholism, drug abuse, domestic violence that went on during COVID was because we weren't with each other. We need each other to be successful. We're not going to be successful by ourselves. Like you said, we need that coach. We need that mentor, but we need to be open to those things. Those people are giving us. Absolutely. And I think one of the key points of being coachable is y'all have to grow thick skin. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that that's the first, one of the first things I go over with my clients in our very first session is, you know, or actually I, I cover it before they hire me is like, look, I'm going to tell you the truth. I, and I promise I will, I make you this one promise. I don't promise you that we're going to be successful in our endeavors together, but I can promise you, I'll always be honest with you and I will never sugarcoat it. I will never beat around the bush. I'm always going to tell you exactly what I think, exactly how I see it. And I could be wrong, right? You know, I'm human. I'm wrong sometimes, but I'm always going to be honest. And you, as my, as my client, you must have a thick skin because sometimes it's going to hurt your feelings and you have to be able to sit back and go, you know what, Steven really hurt my feelings, but he didn't mean to because he's coming from a position of love where he's trying to help me become better. So he's just telling me the hard truth, right? Number one rule of being coachable is you have to have a thick skin. I can't tell you how many times before I joined the military, I got jerked around the football field by my coach, by the face mask. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times my coach, who was about 6'6", about 300 pounds, giant man, lifted my 5'11 butt off the ground by my face mask to pull my face close to his so that he could scream at me spitting in my face you know because you know that and i'll just get that shower and never once did i think that he didn't love me that i wasn't important to him he was just mad because i'm screwing up right and and so I, i think that ultimately and then of course the military helped me develop a really thick skin but I mean, that thick skin piece is so important. You can't be sensitive. You know, I, obviously there's a time and place for being sensitive, but when it comes to growth, you can't be sensitive because growth hurts, right? You think about a tree, right? When a tree is born into this world, it's got to literally explode out of the nut, out of the acorn, whatever. Like it's got to explode and then it's got to force its way through the soil. That's got to be painful. I don't know if trees feel pain, but I would imagine if they do, that's an incredibly painful process, right? Children to be born, maybe not so much for the child, but it's a painful process. Like growth is painful and you can't be sensitive when it comes to your growth. So awesome, man. So we're coming up on time. Uh, We're actually over on time, but that's okay because this has been a really fun conversation and I think there's going to be a ton of value uh, for our listeners. But before we go, I want uh, to give you a chance to to plug away, tell tell people how to get a hold of your book, 
how to get a hold of you, how to hire you, how to get you to their speaking events. And uh, just, you know, if they want to get in contact with you uh, to learn from you, how that can happen. Yeah, sustainable excellence can be purchased anywhere. You can get a book online, Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, Apple iBooks, wherever you get your books online, you can find sustainable excellence. Uh, to get a hold of me, I have a blog uh, every day. I put up a thought for the day. And with that thought comes a, a question about maybe how you can incorporate that in your life. On Mondays, I put up the Monday morning motivational message. Uh, you can, I have recommendations for books to read, videos to watch. You can leave me a message. All of that is at motivationalcheck.com. Awesome. And of course, as always, I'm going to have all his links in the bio or in the show notes, whatever platform you're on, just scroll down and you'll find uh, all his links uh, to his website, socials, book, everything. Um, and then of course, once you're done showing him all the love, head over to renownedleadership.com and uh, give me plenty of love because he's got plenty of love. He, you know, I'm the one that needs the love here. No, I'm kidding, of course. But yeah, once you're done doing that, head over to my website, check out everything I got to offer you as well. So Terry, every guest gets to, to finish the show with this final question. What is your advice for people to lead their life like a champion? Um, I guess I'll, I'll tell you a story, if, if you don't mind the answer. Okay. Always been a big fan of Westerns growing up. Um, my, when I was young, my mom and dad used to let me stay up late and watch Bonanza and Gunsmoke, and my favorite was Wild Wild West. 1993, the movie Tombstone came out. You may have seen it. Huge blockbuster starred Val Kilmer as a man by the name of John Doc Holliday and Kurt Russell as a man by the name of Wyatt Earp. Now, for those who don't know, Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp were two living, breathing human beings who walked on the face of the earth. They're not made up characters just for the movie. Now, Doc was called Doc because he was a dentist by trade, but pretty much Doc Holliday was a gunslinger and a card shark. And Wyatt Earp had been some form of a lawman his entire life. So these two men from entirely opposite backgrounds somehow come together and form this incredibly close friendship. And at the end of the movie, Doc Holliday is dying at a sanitarium of tuberculosis in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, which is about three hours from where I live. The real Doc Holliday died at that sanitarium. He's buried in the Glenwood Springs Cemetery. Wyatt at this point in his life is destitute. He has no money. He has no job. He has no prospects for a job. So every day he comes to play cards with Doc and the two men pass the time that way. And in this almost last scene in the movie, they're talking about what they want out of life. And Doc says, you know, I was in love with my cousin when I was younger, but she joined a convent over the affair. But she's all I ever wanted. Then he looks at Wyatt and he says, what about you, Wyatt? What do you want? And Wyatt kind of nonchalantly says, I just want to lead a normal life. And Doc looks at him and says, there's no normal. There's just life. And get on with living yours. Stephen, you and I probably know people. There's probably out there people listening to us, you know, who are thinking, well, when this happens, I'll have a normal life. Or when that occurs, I'll have a successful life. Or when this happens, I'll have a significant life. What I'd like to leave your audience with is this. Don't wait. Don't wait for life to come to you. Get out there. Find the reason you were put on the face of this earth. Use your unique gifts and talents and live that reason. Because if you do, at the end of your life, I'm going to promise you two things. Number one, you're going to be a whole lot happier. And number two, you're going to have a whole lot more peace in your heart. Man, 
that that was that was really good well done um i don't know if you've practiced that but that was well done well said sir and i absolutely love uh tombstone and wyatt Earp wasn't he a wasn't he an outfall before he became a lawman he, or am i getting he confused has, no he wasn't uh i mean he had, he had had some issues his first wife had died and and things like that but he he was always trying to be an entrepreneur and somehow law enforcement kept sucking him back in. You know, you're going to be okay. a sheriff, you're going to be a marshal, you're going to do all this stuff. And he and his brothers pretty much were lawmen most of their life. Okay, okay. I, I must be thinking of someone else because I, I know there there's another famous lawman that before he became a lawman uh, back in the day in the Wild West, he, he was an outlaw actually. Um, so I'll have to figure out who that was now because I, I man. Anyway, anyway, yeah, love the movie Tombstone. If y'all haven't seen that movie, you gotta go watch that movie. Um, Val Kilmer does a fantastic job, and Doc Holliday is probably the most lovable character for an insanely large D back. <laughs> he just you, you can't help but love him, even though he's a jerk. Yep. But yeah, he he yeah, incredible movie. I love that movie. All right, everybody. So that's going to wrap up uh, this week's episode of the Renowned Leadership Podcast. My thanks to Terry Tucker for joining us today. It was an amazing episode, sir. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on, Stephen. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, everybody. So I will see you all next week. And in the meantime, never forget, lead your life like a champion. And see you next week, everybody. Goodbye. I try to sleep, but you're deep in my mind. Got a hold of me when I'm awake, I'm all blind. You Let's go. What an incredible story, incredible journey. Um, what an incredible guy. It was so much fun to talk to Terry. And out of all the guests I've had and got to talk to in an interview, he was one of the easiest people I've ever talked to. Just incredible dude. And I had such an, uh, just so much fun talking to him. Um, so make sure you go check out his uh, website, motivationalcheck.com. Um, grab his book definitely grab his book it is it is amazing it's sustainable excellence by terry tucker um you can't go wrong with this book it's absolutely amazing and then once you're done doing that everybody head over to renownedleadership.com come give me some love check out what i've got going on for y'all and uh click that book now button and come have a, a little one-on-one -on -one chat with me it's free why not what do you have to lose other than an hour of your time so that's going to wrap it up this week, guys. Thank you so much for joining. Make sure you like, love, leave a comment. And uh, I will see you all next week. In the meantime, never forget, lead like a champion. Goodbye, everybody. Baby.